good morning, Blendville Christian Church. It's good to be back with you. Thank you, for first of all, for the opportunity to have this last month just to recharge and renew. It's been a great time, but I'm glad to be back with you as we continue in this series on the practices in the presence of God. In fact, today's sermon is entitled Reorganizing Your Time. That's what we're going to give attention to. So let's just jump into our, our sermon for the day. In his book, Faith That Endures, Ronald Boyd McMillan tells the story of several conversations that he had with Wang Mingdao, one of China's most famous church pastors of the last century. The first time he met this prominent and persecuted Chinese pastor, they had the following conversation that I found quite interesting. Here's what he said. Mingdao said, young man, how do you walk with God? And I listed off a set of disciplines, such as Bible study and prayer, to which he mischievously retorted, wrong answer. To walk with God, you must go at a walking pace. McMillan said, his words challenged me. I kept asking myself, how can I talk about the Christian life as walking with God when I so often live it as a sprint? Jesus is inviting me to walk with him. But too often, I find myself running for him. And there is a difference. On another visit, Boyd McMillan asked Ming Dao about his 20-year imprisonment for preaching Jesus in China. Prison became a place of unchosen, unhurried time for Ming Dao. There was nothing to do but to be in God's presence in that prison cell, which he discovered was everything. Boyd McMillan summarizes what he learned from Ming Dao with these words. One of the keys to the faith of the suffering church is this. God does things slowly. He works with the heart. We are too fast. We have so much to do, so much we never really commune with God as he intended when he created Eden, the perfect fellowship garden. For Mingdao, the cell in which he found himself was the place where he returned to walk to a walking pace, slowing down, sitting him, stilling himself enough to commune appropriately with God. Mingdao learned the pace of Kairos time. In Scripture, there are two words for time: chronos and kairos. Kronos refers to sequential time. It's, it's the Greek word from which we get the word chronology. It, it is sequential. Uh, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, or uh, the chronology of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. With chronos, we think of minutes and hours, watches and clocks. We think of how time flies or how time drags. Chronos is how we measure our moments and days. It's how we measure our busyness. Have you ever found yourself saying, I have a full schedule today, or I'm swamped? That is chronos, how humanity tracks or chooses to use our time. But then there is kairos, which is kingdom time. Kairos is not about a clicking clock but the recognition of opportune moments that reveal God's divine plan in which we respond to what God is doing. You see, human beings do not control Kairos time. 
They are the moments when God decides to break into our lives, allowing us to follow God's heart, to respond to God's movement. Kairos is kingdom time. You'll find this interesting. The word kairos is used 81 times in the New Testament. In fact, we watch Jesus live by kairos, following God's heart, the kingdom time. As the world around him tries to force Jesus to live by chronos time. For example, Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus engaged with a large crowd. And in the midst of that crowd, all of a sudden there comes this influential Jewish leader named Jairus who asks Jesus to come quickly and heal his daughter who is dying. Jairus is in a hurry because his daughter only has hours to live. And while they were trying to push Jesus to pick up the pace, Jesus was not hurried. Though people tried to hurry him along, Jesus stops and he asks this question, Who touched me? Well, Jairus and his disciples are thinking, Who cares who touched you? There's an emergency. We must hurry. Don't stop, Jesus. Pick up the pace. Get going, Jesus. But instead, Jesus slows to a stop to care for the healed woman who touched Jesus' robe. Mark chapter 5, 21 to 43. Get the picture. The woman was an inconvenience to the time-crunched crowd and to the disciples. But to Jesus, to Jesus, she was worthy of his time as a child of God. Jesus stops. Jesus recognizes her. Jesus cares for her, blesses her. Jesus gave the woman dignity by giving her his time. After dignifying the woman, Then he continued on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. I want you to see that Jesus' view of time did not match the disciples' belief about time. But neither did it match the idea Jesus' biological brothers had about time. I found this interesting in John chapter 7. Jesus' brothers try to tease him into showing off his divine power for the world to see. John chapter 7 verses 1 to 39. And yet, listen to how Jesus responds in verse 6. My time is not yet here. Do you want to take a guess at what word Jesus used to refer to my time? Kairos. Jesus is saying, I'm waiting for God's timing. I'm waiting for God the Father to say, now, the moment is now to reveal the kingdom. For Jesus, it's all about God's timing. Kairos. Kairos, it is to live in expectation that God will open opportunities to make his kingdom known. To live in Kairos, we need to put Kronos aside as as we live by prayer. You see, living by prayer, living by prayer is not asking God to do things for us. It's not requesting his favor on our activities because such prayers are in the realm of chronos. Uh, We try to control what God does. But prayer in Kairos is about resting in God. Yes, we ask God to intercede in people's lives. 
Yes, we confess our sins and we praise God for the blessings that we have received from Him. But all of this in prayer, it serves for the purpose of drawing us deeper into God's presence. Christian, do you realize right now that you live in the presence of God? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul explains this reality when he writes, God raised us with Christ and sealed us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You see, to walk with God is kairos, but to run for God is chronos. To walk is to rest in God, to listen to God, to look for God's divine moments throughout the day, but to run for him. To run for God is to be busy, rarely if ever having time to invite God into our day outside of our short devotion time. In fact, let me put it this way. In Psalm 46, verse 10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. Now, we like this verse. In fact, we quote this verse regularly in times when we are stressed and overwhelmed, hoping it will calm our nerves. But rarely do we understand what the command to be still truly means. First, if you looked at the verse, did you notice who is speaking? Psalm 46, verse 10, it opens with this. He says, now, who is he? It's God. God is giving a command to his people. And what does he command his people to do? He says, be still. Be still. The first verb is be still. See, up to this point, Israel has been trying to create its destiny, shape its future to get the outcome that they preferred. And yet God commands them, be still. Let go. Uh, take it easy. Let God be God. Keep your eye on God and allow him to unfold his plan for his people. So in being still, God is saying, open your eyes and follow God's lead. Kairos, kingdom, time. So how do we walk slowly with a God in a hurried world? Uh, first, we let go of making things happen for God. We let go of making things happen for God. Because we know God is already moving. Now, earlier we saw how attentive and responsive Jesus was to the movement of God while amid a busy crowd. But how? How did Jesus recognize the quiet movement of the kingdom in a noisy crowd? That's the question I had to ask myself. Well, Mark actually tells us. We find in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus regularly took time to tune in to the voice of God. You see, when you're the Savior of the world, you will have a crammed calendar. I promise. Yet Mark's gospel tells us this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. You see, Jesus started the day resting in God. Well, what did he do in that time? What did he do in that quiet place? Well, first of all, he listened for God's word. 
He listened for God's word to know what words he was to speak that day. You see, in John chapter 5, verse 30, and John 14, verse 10, listen to what Jesus says. The words I am speaking are not my words, but those given to me by my Father. Later on, he says, the works I am doing are not my works, but the works of my Father. The glory to which I bear witness is not my glory, but the glory of my Father. Where did Jesus get his words? Where did Jesus learn what it was, the work he was to do each day? He listened to God. But here's the second thing Jesus did. Each morning, Jesus sought God's will, and he renewed his courage to follow God's will. Here's the final thing. Each morning, Jesus drew his identity from God and not the demands of the world. That's powerful. In our quiet time, when we come before the Lord, we acknowledge and we accept the disciples' prayer, not my will, Lord, but yours. The problem, the problem is when our lives are disorganized, rarely do we enjoy intimacy with God. How do we walk slowly with God in a hurried world? Well, another way is this. In each moment of the day, we look for God's divine appointments. You see, Scripture is full of divine kairos appointments. Uh, Take Philip, for instance. Philip was an example of somebody who was on the front line of revival in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. And this revival included crowds paying attention to and responding to the gospel. Exorcisms occurred, miraculous healings. People were being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit right and left. Ministry was busy for Philip. And yet in the midst of all of this, Acts 8.26 tells us this. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Did you catch it? This is a Kairos moment for Philip. A divinely appointed time for him to respond to God's leading. And he does. Uh, The text says in verse 27 that Philip rose and he went. And as Philip goes to Gaza, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks him in verse 30, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch responds, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Well, guess who can explain it? Philip. Philip began with that very passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. And he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus in verse 35. And the eunuch was baptized that day. What's the point? The point is this. To live in Kairos time means we no longer see people as interruptions but as divine appointments. People are worthy of our time because not only are they created in God's image, they are placed before us by a God who loves them and wants to love them through us. To love well can only be done when we are disciplined enough to slow down and walk with God and others. How do we walk slowly with a God in a hurried world? It's by having this thought. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. So live with kingdom intentionality today. 
Uh, one of St. Benedict's practices was to remind himself on a daily basis that he was going to die. Uh, in a day and age where we do everything we can to avoid thinking about death, St. Benedict used his approaching death as a way to live with greater, in, greater kingdom intentionality. And I wonder, I wonder if St. Benedict learned this practice from the Apostle Paul. Paul reminds us in, in the uh, Paul reminds the church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us, every one of us, I don't care who you are, one day will give an account of how we used or misused our time for God's purposes. By contemplating our own death. It brings kairos moments into greater focus. Our approaching death calls us to live our short lives responsibly for the kingdom. Uh, I have right here a page from my sermon. And as you can see, I typed it up. And when I typed it up, I left a one-inch margin, top, bottom, and on the sides, the same way you would a research paper, an essay, or a business letter. Now, Terry Linhart, in his book, The Self-Aware Leader, he says that the margins of a research paper is a great illustration of how we should live our Christian lives. Did you know, for you math fanatics out there, that did you know that an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper has 93.5 square inches of area? So guess what percentage of the total page is wasted by this one-inch margin? Most people, when they guess, they say 15 to 25%. But here's the reality. A one-inch margin on a standard-sized piece of paper is 37.4% of the page's area. In fact, the one more thing that students would find interesting when you take that one-inch margin and then you double-space the text, more than 50% of the page is white space. Here's the thing. People often think that these blank margins, this white space, is wasteful and inefficient. And so they try to pack as much print on a page as possible. But have you ever seen a page that's been packed with text from top to bottom and side to side? If you ever have, you'll notice that before you even read a word, you're exhausted just by the sight of how much is crammed on that page. And reading it becomes labor. Christians, margins in our lives Blank spaces on our calendars, quiet time with God, they provide us with the room we need to deepen our relationship with God and others. You see, margins, white space, has substance. It impacts how we live. Margins impact how we think, impact how we act. As disciples of Jesus, we gain kingdom focus when we slow down and make margins of time for God's kairos to lead us. So how are you living your Christian life? Under your own control, chronos, or under the control of kingdom time, 
Kairos. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful way that your truth is unfolded and your word is fulfilled in the Holy Scripture. Thank you for the example that Jesus gave us in his life and ministry when he quietly waited until the appointed time to begin his work. Father, our prayer this morning is this, that you would help us to follow his good example, that we may be faithful to, that we may each be faithful to our calling. And Father, give us the grace to wait for your perfect timing in our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.